The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Uh, I'm Janie. I'm on staff here with you men, and I have the privilege tonight of introducing to you our speaker. Um, and tonight we have Dave Lutz coming to speak to us, and I know people are already excited. You should be. Dave is a licensed therapist here in Seattle, which many of you, many of you may know that, but there's a couple other things I'm going to tell you about Dave. The first one is that Dave actually started a campus ministry similar to the inn in Wisconsin a number of years ago. I don't know how many, like two probably. 35 years, 35 years ago. It's awesome. So Dave is, uh, he used to do something exactly like the inn in Wisconsin, which um, I think is pretty great because he knows what we're doing here and what we're about. And that's how, one of the reasons we love having Dave come back and, um, and talk to you guys here. And the second thing about Dave that I think is pretty awesome is that he had to be asked seven times before he came to the inn when he was a student at UW. Seven times? Seven times before he came to the inn. Um, and I think that's amazing because Dave Lutz is one of the most amazing communicators of the profound truths of our faith um, and God and Jesus Christ that I know. So it's exciting to hear from him and be able to know that God did an amazing transforming work in his life. And I'm excited for what he is going to be sharing with you tonight. So please welcome up Dave Lutz. It wasn't 35 years ago. People looked over at me like, yeah, it looks about right. <laughs> no, but it was 90s. So it was definitely like lots of people walking around with chains and things like that. Lots of chains. <laughs> Dave, look at, got my new chain. Just got it. 1997. Welcome to that. Um... Well, listen, it is good to be here. I love it. I, I, I can't remember the first... I was just trying... I was talking um, uh, with Chris. I was trying to remember the first year that they opened this gym. And I think it was right around the time when I was a student here. And, I, so, and, and just the feeling of remembering being here. And um, I was 22 and, uh, and just not really sure exactly um, what this whole thing was about. But just there was something here that was so palpably real. Um, that was so different than anything I'd been raised with or grown up with. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in the, um, and just the, the people that were involved here were so instrumental in my life. And so I just love coming back here, and it's great to be with you. And tonight we're going to be talking about something that I'm right in the middle of, too. I, I was telling uh, the leader of the, the ministry that's for the next age group, John um, Epps, who leads conversions over there, was, uh, he's a good friend of mine. We were talking, I was like, man, these last three talks, I did two, uh, the last two weeks over there, and then, then this one, and then I'm going to be back over there next week. And these talks, I'm... I am right in the middle of it. So I feel like tonight is one of those ones where I'm going to share with you kind of in that place where this God's working on me on this. And, uh, and so, you know, we'll have to think together and work together on this one. But um, just to put that in perspective that, man, I'm telling you, I go before God on this, this topic and um, I'm right in the middle of it. And the topic tonight, we're going to be going through Romans kind of 5, 6, and 7. And I'm going to focus on a feeling that Paul had. And that feeling is the feeling of being stuck. Some of you know what it's like. Some of you know what it's like to be in that place where 
People are asking you, you seniors or, or you freshmen, what are you going to do when you get done with this? And you go, don't ask me that ever again anymore. I'm sick of that question. Don't ask it. Or you're trying to make a decision about a relationship or you're trying to figure out things to do with your family or you've got a situation where you live that you're trying to wrestle out what you're going to do and you're trying to wrestle what the best thing to do and there's different options in front of you and you can't quite make up your mind and that feeling of that internal struggle or even just what classes should I be taking that are going to prepare me for this vision of life that people keep telling me is out there. People keep telling me God's got a wonderful plan for your life and it's like I hear that but no one's informing me of what that's going to look like so that feeling inside of not being at peace because we're stuck that's a hard feeling Paul goes through that so pray with me Lord Jesus I pray for your grace tonight on this time and Lord I know that there are people coming from all over the place on this there are some people that are coming that are in such a great spot with you where it just feels like every single step they take, they can sense your blessing on it. They sense your voice. They open up the Bible and it's like you're talking right to them. And they've got people coming up and talking to them and it feels like your voice is coming right through those people and that sense of how close you are. And I know there are some people here feel like it's been a long time since they've heard from you. They feel like they're a little bit off in the desert and they're trying to figure out if they're on the right path or if they're on the right road. And they're praying or they're talking and they're having conversations with people just looking for an answer, just trying to find the way to go. So I pray, Lord, tonight that when we walk out of here that there will be a sense that you met us here. A sense that we're not here on accident, that no single person, no matter how they got here, whether it was a friend inviting them seven times, or whether it was a coincidence that they were walking down the street and heard some noise and came popping in, but that no one will leave here feeling like they got here on accident, that it was you who called them here to meet with them. That's what I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, listen, I... I love. Well, I was talking with Ryan when, and just kind of getting prepped on what you guys have been going through. And oh man, Romans is one of the toughest books um, to be going through. Paul. What I love about Romans is that Paul is in the thick of trying to figure out this whole this whole gospel thing. You got to keep in mind that he is for the first time. He has the, the you know he's got you know this this revelation. He's had this this walk, but he's trying to formulate what does it mean. That this Savior comes to earth. What does it mean that this Jesus comes to earth and then instead of doing what we would have thought, which I would have thought he would have marched all the way, you know, up to the, to the top echelons of power, told him who he was, been elected to something maybe, you know, given a great speech, you know, teleprompters, really good coverage, you know, some great pins, you know, that people can wear. Um, that are kind of art deco-y, that would be great, you know, just kind of walk around. There'd be a slogan, you know, that would, everyone would kind of catch on, you know, then we'd all kind of say it, and then, and then people would gather on board, it'd be popular, it'd be really good. That's what I would want for Jesus. I mean, he would have a great reign as the Savior, and at the end of the Savior, he'd just kind of wave on a float. You know, I want to float, and he'd just wave, and just be gone, and go retire somewhere in Maryland. You know, just a really nice... 
good, solid saviorship, you know. And then maybe we'd elect a new one. I don't know. You know, just something really great like that. And it doesn't happen like that. Instead, of all things, he's just dragged through the worst possible circumstances and he ends up dying in the most humiliating of ways. Being resurrected, meeting Paul, of all people, this guy who had persecuted the people that were Jesus' people, the Jews. You don't pick Paul. Paul has this incredible transformation. Some of you know what that's like. You've gone through it. You're in your fraternity or you're in your sorority or you're in your dorm or you're in your house and you've seen things or you've maybe done things or you've experienced things that just make you feel kind of dirty. And, and suddenly there's this feeling of God coming into your life and saying, you know what, it's all right. I want you. You got that feeling, you know that feeling that somehow you can't explain it. That sense of Jesus is actually real. Not just an idea. Not just something you were raised with, but suddenly, somehow you realize Jesus is real. That's Paul. He's trying to put all the pieces together and through the first few chapters, what he's, what he's setting up is this idea of in this crucifixion, in this resurrection, Ryan makes the, this analogy of an umbrella. It's like you've been given something that is all-encompassing over this thing called sin, this separation. And all pointing back, all coming back down to Christ. It's all rooted in Him. It's no longer about what you can do. It's no longer about the little things that you try to make perfect in your life. And man, that's where you got to remember, that's what Paul's coming out of. Paul's coming out of this idea of, if you get it right, if you get it exactly right, then you'll be okay with God. And he's saying, no, 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 no. So chapter 5 comes along and he makes this analogy of it being like a gift. I remember when I was 16 years old and I'd just gotten my driver's license. And I came from a family that did not have a lot of money. So I was in, in two-thirds of everything we made. Get this, how unfair is this? Two-thirds of everything we made had to go to, into a college account, which stinks when you have a paper route and you make like, $17, you know, and you're watching, you know, two-thirds of that go into account, and you're like, what am I going to do with this, you know, little bit of money here? All this time, we don't have a lot of money, and so I'm saving my, my I'm, there's no way I'm going to afford a car. The only thing I'm going to be able to afford is a moped. Yeah, moped. Now, they're back now, which is okay. But, but you know, it, it, this wasn't that cool back then. But I'm like going, but I just want to be able to go somewhere. So I'm saving and saving and saving and saving. And I go to my parents for Christmas and I remember saying, if you guys have any, you know what I would love is to just take all the money you would give me for anything else and just give me some money to put towards saving for this moment. Because I knew we, our family did not have a lot of money. And I remember coming to, to, uh, to Christmas at the end of the, the whole present wrapping. I'm kind of thinking, okay, they're going to probably give me a check. And I come to the tree, and my dad loved to do scavenger hunts. This is what he did. He just got some kind of, kind of almost evil, really. He, <laughs> he'd draw, like, pipes coming out of the toilet, like, out back. You know, like, there'd be another thing taped back there, and I'd finally figure out what piece of plumbing that is, you know, and I'd be running around the house, and... You know, and there's some, there's a hook. I have no idea where that hook is, Dad. Where is that hook? You know, oh, it's in the back closet. <laughs> yeah. 
And, uh, so, you know, so after like nine hours, I'm finally coming back to the end of it. I've got it, and there's a picture of the Christmas tree. I'm like, ah, okay, here we go, payoff. So I come running up to this tree, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. And right behind me, underneath the sheet, I didn't even see it, is my present. And my parents are just dying laughing. <laughs> you miss, you, they're just like, Dave, you, you just completely missed something that's standing right in front of you. I turn around, there's this gigantic present. I pull the sheet off, and it's a brand new moped. Now, for me, knowing what my parents had to give, I know they stretched. I don't know how they did it. But that thing was just the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And it wasn't just because it gave me freedom to go places. It was that I knew what my parents had to do to get that for me. I never forgot it. Paul is saying, you're not going to get how incredible this is. So he calls it a gift. It's like God is going... I'm going to give you something that's bigger than what you ask for. Because see, here's what I would ask for, you guys. What I would ask for is that if I could get my life exactly right, if I could do all the things that I need to do, or if I could just line up my future right, you know, that maybe God would go, okay, we're good. So I would be saving up all these little good things I do, all these little nice things I do, or the things that I, I don't do. I don't look at that, or I don't touch that, or I don't go there, or I don't speak of that, or I live here, or I choose this major, or I choose this future. I just do all this stuff. And all behind, all this time, there's this gift right behind you. And God says, you don't have to save your pennies. The gift I got you is, we're good. Completely good. I'm not keeping score anymore. It's a gift. I gave it to you. God in Jesus comes to the cross, pays the price of sin. It's good. It's a bigger gift than you knew to ask for. Counting our change, counting our little tiny sacrifices, hoping that one day they'll all mount up to a successful meaningful, significant life. If I just get enough, then I'll be significant. Then I'll matter. Then I'll be good. Then I'll be approved of. And God says, I got you a gift. It's bigger. Just look behind you. It's a pretty big deal. He says it's like a marriage. He says, you know, that way we get into thinking about earning or, or being approved of or trying to find our way by what we do. He says, he says, that's one way of being married. Let's all look at him. Oh, I know her. She was in my sermon last week. We did it together. Um, imagine that, he says, imagine that in, those, in that day, in, in the old way, it's like you're married to this self-preservation. Married to this sense of of, of kind of um, looking for ways to do it on your own. You were married to it. He says, I want you to think about this transformation being like changing spouses. One spouse dies, you are no longer bound to it. And with Jesus Christ, that spouse of yours, that sin, is dead. You are now free to go and be married a second time. That's what he says. So in other words, justification is a theological term you guys have been hammering out. 
is the sense of the gift. You're good. Sanctification is this sense of free to live a life. Radically, abundantly, with a sense of that courage that comes from you don't have to be afraid to get it wrong. You're set free. You've got a new spouse. You've got a new partner. You've got a gift that's bigger than what you could have ever chosen for yourself. You are set free. Look, life out in front of you. Go. Go. There's a world out there that needs you. You've got gifts inside of you that I created before you were born. I thought them up. You're on purpose. You're not an accident. I made you. Yeah, I know that you've still got the layers of, of sediment from the world. Or this is kind of how I think of it. You can see if you follow this. But I kind of think of people like a pearl. And then these pearl kind of over time, you've got layers of dirt that kind of get over that, you know, from where you grew up or things that you went through that kind of cover it up and make it hard to see. But that pearl doesn't go away. Does that make sense? He's like, yeah, I know you've got wounds. I know you've got things that you think about that make you afraid. I know that you've got values from your family that are put on you that you've kind of adopted that, that make certain things okay as a career or certain life adventures that make that okay or significant. He goes, I know you have all those things, but I want you to strip that all away, get focused on this idea that you are justified by faith, set free to go, live your life with the sense of courage that comes from knowing God is with you. He'll never leave you. That your sin's paid for. You do not have to earn a dime. And then Paul comes into Romans 7. And he says this. And just watch how... It, Paul is... What I love about God is that God lets Paul write this with his head spinning. You can just see Paul just tormented in this. And he says in, in, in chapter 7, verse 14, he says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I, do, for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is a sin in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do, I do not. For for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me, and that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is the idea, you just watch, you're set free. I love this about Paul. It's like, he goes, I know I've been set free. I know it. I see this gift. I've received it. He goes, I get the fact that right now, I, my debt's paid. I am free to go. I can go live a life of courage and adventure, trying to reach out, go as far as I can. And I, I, owe, I don't owe God a dime. I got nothing to repay. And yet, why can't I go forward? 
why do I still feel stuck? Why do I still feel like I'm just right here and I can't put one foot forward? Now he's talking specifically about this idea that even his body feels in, 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 at a war. Like, and he's, he's talking, I think he's talking specifically about his, this, the sexual part of his body. There's this sense of, I can't get my body to line up with this sense of a righteous, holy life that, that is, that is an outbirth of this new thing that's happened in me. Does that make sense? Why is it that I still feel stuck? But I think Paul, with all of the things that come after that, all the churches he plants, all the, all the ministries he starts, where he sees them start, and he sees them fall, he sees them go through turmoil, Paul experienced for the rest of his life a lot of times where he just felt that sense of being stuck. That sense of why isn't it going forward? And that is the thing that drives me crazy. When you're in that place in life where it feels like a decision needs to be made and you can't make it. So tonight I'm going to give you four tools on what to do when you feel like you're stuck. Thumbs up if you're with me. Yeah? Good. Okay, Chris, you you good? First one? Stay calm. You're like, duh, get to the next one. But I'm serious. Here's the first one. This is a big deal. This is the one that breaks so many decisions open, that, that, that gets us in that place where we can't move. You see, your body is designed um, very intricately by God. Your brain, a lot of you know a lot about this, but you have a part of your brain that when a certain level of stress hits it, a part of your brain, right back here, kicks in, and you've got three options. And those options are fight, flight, or freeze. You can do no other thing than those three things. And all what your brain is doing, you can imagine this little guy up there with these little levers just waiting. Click, 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 click. And what he's waiting for is to see how fast your heart beats. He's going, ah, oh, he's getting up there, getting up there, my time's coming. My time's coming. It's my turn. He kicks in all that stuff. Then he goes, what are we going to do? We're going to fight. You know, you just, you know, you start doing things causing damage and you're really, ah, maybe if I cause damage, then I'll get free. Do not threaten me. Or he says, no, that's not going to work. Click, 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 click. If I don't move, maybe this thing will just blow by me and they won't see me. Kind of like a deer, you know, like when a deer gets in the headlight. If I stay here, maybe the car will disappear. <laughs> that's what I think the deer's thinking, you know. Not much more scientific than that. He's not disappearing. This is bad. <laughs> click, 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 click. Run! And you've seen that. Some of you have been in relationships where all of a sudden everything's going great. You guys have known each other for a good solid two weeks. The guy has turned to you and he said, I think you are the one. I know it. I mean, I know it's only been two weeks, but you know, two Fridays. Remember that one time? 
three days ago? When it just felt like we both thought the same thing. Remember that? It's so awesome. I've been waiting for that for all my life. Well, at least for like a year I've been waiting for that. So I'm already looking at rings. It's great. You're walking along and suddenly she's not there anymore. <laughs> what happened? She's just like... <coughs> click, 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 click. Run! Get out of there! The way through that was that that person did not stay calm. That person let their heart rate go up. The little guy inside starts clicking the gears. And I've only got three choices. I either fight you. What are you talking about? It's only been two weeks. <laughs> Maybe he'll disappear. <laughs> or you transfer to Utah. Yeah. I don't know why Utah. I have no clue. Stay calm. It's key. Um, Psalm 46.10, be still, be still, be still, be still. Know that I'm God. Be still. God's still God. He's not left you. I know what feels like he has. I know he feels like he said, yeah, I gave you justification. You're free. You're good to go. You and I are going to walk. You and me. We're going to walk arm in arm. And then all of a sudden, you're at that crucial point, and it feels like God just went... Right when you're on the precipice of a cliff. Get with community. Get with people that are staying calm with you. You got someone coming to you and going, I gotta make a choice. And they get operatic like that too. When they're, oh, I have to make a choice. <laughs> you guys probably didn't know I could get that high. Um, stay calm. One of the best things you can do for your friends when they're in this situation is keep yourself calm because anxiety is contagious. It spreads like wildfire, and that's true. We're designed to feel that. We're designed, if someone else is alarmed, we're designed to pick it up. Bam, bam, bam. And then we're both anxious. So we got two people. You know, two trying to work it out together. Dump him! Stay calm. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Get your heart rate. And you can do this. You can imagine your heart rate. Imagine your heart rate. Boom, 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 boom. Get it down. Second thing is, remember you always have options. It's a key thing. And you know what they actually do is there's a study out of Harvard that says that one of the key things to staying calm is to remember that you've always got options. I know it looks like you don't, or you look in, you're looking at this thing and you look like it looks like there's only two choices. There's always more options. To stay grounded and know there will be a way through. It's one of the ways that you can stay calm. Second thing is to discern the type of choice that you're facing. Now, 
I've got a very small brain. I do. That's true of me. I have to make things very simple. And I think of choices kind of primarily coming in two different types. Now, one type is kind of like something buried in the sand. It's almost like a coin. And I'm out on the beach. And I'm one of those guys. Now, if there's some one of you guys in here, I apologize for hurting your feelings, because I don't mean to. But, you know, the metal detector people? Tick, 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 tick. I can't fathom doing that. But that, some people love it. Tick, 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 You know, and they're just like, they bring out their special beach shovel. You know, they're digging, 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 and they hope, ah, a bottle cap, rats. Tick, 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 tick. My spouse, tick, 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 Oh, nothing. I don't like the... I don't want to study that part of the Bible anyway. Tick, 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 tick. <laughs> and you get that frantic feeling. You're looking around. You're looking in the sand. You're looking in the sand. That's one kind. And you know what? Sometimes that's the way it's going to be. Some of your choices are going to be a matter of you looking pretty hard. Looking in a lot of different places. And that's going to be the way life is for you. Sometimes a decision, there is an answer. And you do have to talk to several people. And really listen. There's another kind of decision. And that's one that I think of more like an apple. Now, I've got an apple tree in my yard. And I love apples. Do you like apples? Oh, yeah. There's an apple fan out there. I'm a fan of apples. I love apples. Come about April, I want me a good apple. And I'm going to go out to my tree and get me an apple. But there's no apples. So I'm going to just shake the tree. Shake the branches. Maybe then an apple will just bloop and plop down. And I'll have me my apple. Doesn't happen, so I start praying harder. God, if you loved me, you would make an apple. <laughs> you know that prayer face? Ah! Prayer, you know? I'm going to gather my friends around and we're all going to huddle. Somebody raise hands, please, because that's going to... You know, somebody's doing that. Somebody else is praying harder. And they, if I just pray the right way, then maybe we'll look up and there will be an apple. No apple. You get my point. You see, I think sometimes decisions, there's another kind of decision that just takes time. And you know when there's a problem, you know when there's a decision to make. Doesn't make it the season for an answer to come. That make sense? So sometimes discipleship is a matter of being ready to wait for the season 
when an answer will be in front of you. And then you'll go, oh, fall. There's an apple. And you'll pick it. Some of you are thinking about your careers right now. Anybody thinking about their careers right now? Yeah, yeah. People are like, is he going to call on me? Yeah. No, I get you. And you're saying, you know what? I just keep praying, I keep praying, I keep praying, I keep praying. I guess I must not be praying the right way. Or you think it's the kind of problem that if you just tick, 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 if you think it's that kind of problem. But you know what? For some of you, there may be a career that's coming that just isn't ready to be seen yet. Why? Because you haven't taken 16 steps and just tried some things that give you life. I love, I was talking with Chris earlier and I asked him if I could use this, but I love Chris's story. He's in Idaho working with my good friend Phil and he's going to be a PA. I love that. He knows what he wants to do. He's pretty solid. But he got to his senior year and maybe some of you heard his story, but he gets to this place where he doesn't really know what, he, what he's supposed to do. And there's this sense of wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And I asked him, I said, how did you know when it was the right time to choose? He says, you know what? I kind of broke down. And my friend asked me, what gives you life? He goes, ministry? He goes, well, there you go. And it was like at the right time. The day before, I don't think he could have chosen it. The day before that conversation, the day before it was ready to be picked. I don't think he could have chosen it. But once it's there, he's ready. Some of you are in places like that. You've been enduring this waiting, hoping, looking. And I think a lot of anxiety, see if you follow this, I think a lot of anxiety for us as Christians can come up when we think it's a situation where the answer is buried in the sand and it isn't that situation. It's actually a situation where we just need to take another step, do something that gives us life calm down and know that in its season an answer is going to come and you're going to be able to pick it. Now, the third thing is to marry the process and turn over the product. So this place you're in is stuck. I don't have an answer yet. I don't have an answer yet. I'm going to stay working with people. I'm going to be around the right people that might be able to give me some good words in case it's the kind of choice that comes from being buried in the sand. It's like an answer that I'm going to find. Maybe it'll be like that. I don't know. But it might be an answer that's coming and I'm going to just trust that there's something growing. Something that's going to grow that I'm going to recognize is going to feel right or I'm going to grow up in a way that I'm... Does that make sense? There's some, something that's going to happen in me that's going to make me ready for the choice. In the meantime, you can make a choice to marry the process. What do I mean by that? You can decide on certain core character traits that you're just going to use to navigate. Tell the truth. It's a tough one. Gave a talk on that one two weeks ago. It's the only talk I've ever done where I, I had 15 points. 
That's true. It was my land speed record. I did it on purpose. It was crazy. I literally called 15 volunteers up and ran through 15 different things on time truth. It's not easy. Tell them the truth. I've always told people, I hate faith, I hate courage, and I hate having to tell the truth when I'm under stress. It's three things. I can't stand it. I wish I never had to live by faith. I just want God to kind of be there, to be able to see him. Faith means I have to walk without seeing. I don't like doing that. Courage. Mm, don't like courage because that means something really hard is in front of me that I don't know if I for sure have enough to get through it. So I have to exercise that step into it. I don't like that. That's an uncomfortable feeling. Telling the truth when you're under stress. Uh, but that means there's going to be consequences. And I don't like that. But you can decide. Okay, I'm in a place of making a decision. I'm in a place where I don't know. And there's something important. I know I don't have to do it to earn God's love. I know I don't have to earn it to be significant. God has already put that on me in Jesus. I know that's all free. I just have a choice to make. So in the meantime, while I'm in that desert place, I'm going to choose to marry the process and turn the product of what happens over to God. You going to get married? I don't know. But you can choose how you're going to be until you have that choice in front of you. You can choose to say, well, I'm going to choose to tell the truth. Another one. You can choose to think respectfully. This is one of my growing edges right now. This is where I feel like God is really convicting me. I'm aware on my drive to work how many thoughts go through my mind that are so disrespectful. Someone cuts, I saw a guy pull out in his four wheel drive the other day and almost run this old lady over. And in my mind, I'm sitting there in my mind, I am cutting him down in my mind with sarcasm that I learned to do in high school. I learned to use sarcasm like a weapon. And I feel like God, what God is saying to me is, Dave, you know what I want you to do? It's okay to not like that. It's okay maybe even at some point, if you ever run into him, to talk to him about it. You want to tell the truth. But you are called to think respectfully. Why? Because I made that guy. This is me. This may not be you. Some of you probably do this so much better than me. But I challenge you right now, everybody. Take a look around. Take a look to your left. Everybody, take a look to your left. Take a look to your left. And a swing. Take a look to your right. Take a look to your left. Take a look to your right. And I want to challenge you to make an internal promise that you're going to look at those people tonight and just think, I'm looking at you with respect. Challenge you, not as a sex object. Guys, ooh. I didn't know it went there. Ooh, yeah. Gals, not who's the thinnest. Ooh. Gets hard. Keep, keep toying with this one. It gets really tricky. But in the midst, well, here's what I find. That in the midst of not knowing an answer for a choice, when you have clarified for yourself the process of how you're going to be, watch how good you feel about you. Watch how solid you feel. Watch how you calm down. I may not know what I'm going to do next year, you say, but I know how I'm going to walk 
and I've released the outcome to God. Not that I have to earn God's favor, but somehow I think it makes God smile. That's a good feeling. Which, by the way, that was kind of all the disciples ever got. The fourth thing. I got this from Dave Rohr, who I think is great. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is in this place of being stuck. Again, what he's talking about is this thorn in his flesh. And he keeps crying out to God. We don't know what that thorn was. Something that was going on inside him that he just couldn't shake. I don't know whether sometimes, Paul seemed angry to me sometimes. I wonder whether it was this, this feeling of bitterness or feeling like sometimes some of the church leaders had really wronged him. Sometimes being put in places where he wasn't getting the respect that he should have gotten. He's saying, God, take this away from me. I have this vision of Paul saying, I don't love some of these people. Take that away from me. Take it away. I'm angry about that. Or maybe he was sad. He'd watch some churches rise and he'd watch some churches fall. God, I don't want to feel sad anymore. Some of you have gone through some things that just feel so sad and you're saying, God, I just don't want to feel this anymore. And you wake up the next day and you're still feeling it. Now, I recommend you work on that. That's kind of why I do what I do. Some of you are carrying really heavy burdens. And I don't think God necessarily wants us to be weighted down. But there are times when something's just not going to go. And God's answer to him was, Paul, I know you want that thorn out of you. I know you want that addiction taken out. I know you want that feeling of bitterness taken out. I know you want that feeling of being shortchanged taken away. I know you do. But for right now, for right now, I want you to know that my grace is sufficient for you. God, I want to run. It's okay. All I want you to do is walk. My grace is sufficient for you. God, I want to thrive. I want you to get out of bed. My grace is sufficient for you. God, I want to feel loved. Right now, you're going to have to trust that you are loved while you can't feel it. My grace is sufficient for you. I took care of your debt on the cross. My grace is sufficient for you. You just took another breath. My grace is sufficient for you. You just took another step. My grace is sufficient for you. This love that I have for you, you want maximum. Sometimes it's not going to feel that way. You want abundance. Sometimes you're not going to have it. And for me, it kind of comes down to John 6, where Jesus looks at Peter and he says, What about you? Are you going to leave me too? You going to go? I just told you that I'm going to the cross. I just told you it's going to get a lot worse. A lot of these disciples, there was a lot of them in that day, they all left. You're going to leave me too? And I love Peter's answer. He looks at him and I can just see him putting his hands down and just kind of shaking his head, just looking back at Jesus and saying, where else am I going to go? Because you have the words of eternal life. Sometimes, you guys, 
Life's just not easy. It's worth it. But it's not easy. And sometimes the word is Jesus looking at you and going, You gonna quit? Sometimes our answer is gonna be, Where else am I gonna go? And deep down, trust Paul's words. That God's grace is sufficient for right now. To get you through this life. And that this life isn't the last chapter. It's not the end of the book. It's a whole other world coming. Where all these things are going to wash away. Not everything has to happen right now. Stay calm. See if you can figure out what kind of a decision you're actually making. Is it one that's an answer that's buried somewhere? Or is it one that's just going to take some time to come into season? Decide for yourself the process that feels right. I challenge you to do that with someone you know. I'm going to start thinking respectfully. Will you hold me accountable to that? I'm going to start telling the truth. With respect. Not in a way that's rude, but I'm going to start speaking truthfully. And I'm going to trust that God's grace is sufficient for me. So I have nothing to fear. I don't know what I'm going to do next year, honestly. That answer hasn't come to me, Mom. Dad, I don't know yet. But I'm walking strong. I've got the grace of God, and it's sufficient for me. I'm okay. I've got people around me. God is never going to leave me. That's the promise. And keep walking and let's do it together. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. God, thank you for everybody here. I pray, Father, for the people that are in the midst of decision-making, that feeling of being stuck. I pray that there is a sense tonight as they walk out that they are okay. You haven't left them. You haven't forsaken them. You haven't abandoned them. And life is just challenging at times, but worth it. And I pray that they will have that sense that they don't have to do one more thing to ever earn anything from you again. That freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.